regrets. I think we've all got them. Sometimes that regret might be a small thing that still nags at you. It might be a huge thing that continues to haunt you. For some of you, maybe your regret's kind of humorous, maybe embarrassing. You did something and it's very embarrassing and you kind of regret that embarrassing moment when you said that awkward thing or that clothing malfunctioned happened at the wrong time in front of friends and whatever else it might be. But we have regrets. Some are not so humorous. Some actually still sting today. And as we think about our regrets, there's actually a website. I mean, there's tons of websites out there, but this website's called secretregrets.com. And it's an actual website where people can anonymously go on and blog or share their greatest regret. And I hit that website recently to take a look at some of the regrets people have posted. Some of them are, are silly. Uh, it's like people say, well, I wish I would have partied harder in my life or whatever the words are. And you know, it's like, come on, really? But some regrets are heart-wrenching. Like this one, for example. He says that my biggest regret in life is when I didn't let the police arrest my abusive mother after she assaulted me one night and I'd finally worked up the courage to call for help. Maybe my brother wouldn't have died at her hands a year later. Imagine living with that regret, right? Or this one, I regret taking so long to realize how a childhood of domestic violence really affected me. I have never had the ability to really open up, to trust someone totally, or to really feel love. I guess when you don't know what love is or never learn to love, you can never find it. And one day you realize it is too late. Or there's this one that says, I I regret the way I treated people. As I type this, I feel so alone. I have no one to call. I've been so cruel towards people throughout my life that I pushed them all away. I deserve this, but I wish things were different. I wish that I could start over and be more kind. Being lonely sucks. You know, we all have regrets. In fact, regrets are a universal emotion. You can put your finger on any point of the globe, and there's somebody there, as long as it's land-bearing, there's somebody there that's going to have a regret. They're going to have something they've been dealing with. And here's the thing about regrets. Every single one of those is unique. And even though your regret might be unique to you, they tend to fall into three different kind of categories that I want to give you briefly. And if you're taking notes today, I would encourage you to do that. On the back of the bulletin, there are actually some fill-in-the-blanks. And I know you will feel incomplete unless you fill those in before you leave today. So there's that. Or you can also use your smart device. Maybe you brought your tablet or your, or your smartphone with you today. And we partner with the YouVersion Bible app. It's a free Bible app you can download from your store, and uh, if you are an active user of the Bible app, you can go to more under the menu and events, and then you will find Neighborhood Church right there, and you'll have the notes and the passages all linked together. So we encourage you to do that. But there are three categories of regrets that typically all of your regrets fall into. And the first one is this. It's the regret of action. Regret of action. It is feeling sorry about what I did. It's those moments when you you smack your forehead and you say, ah, I wish I had never. And maybe that was a lie you told. Or maybe that was a relationship that you torpedoed. Or perhaps it was dumb choices that you have made or rage that was unleashed. Maybe it was money that you've blown or an addiction that you fed. The regrets of action. 
You know, that, for instance, I know there are moments, countless times, I'm sure, as a dad and as a father, when I said something, and in the moment it had entered the air, I immediately regretted what I spoke and wished there was a way I could suck it back in before it reached the ears of my loved one. We've all felt those moments when the regret was instantaneous, but other times, maybe it's taken you a while to figure it out, but that regret came to the surface of something that you've done. Action regrets are by far the most common. Why? Because you're making choices every day. Every day you make countless choices. And sometimes you come to regret those choices that you've made because we are given so many chances relationally, with our money, with our resources, with our time. Then there are the regrets of inaction. Inaction. This is about those opportunities I didn't act upon. Something was presented to you and you didn't act on it. Maybe for, for you... It was opportunities missed, time that you wasted, risks that you didn't take. Maybe it was love that was left unexpressed, words that were not spoken that should have been. Maybe it was forgiveness that you withheld. You know, in the Book of Common Prayer, it offers us this quote. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against thee in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. What we've done are those things of regrets of action, but what has been left undone, that's those regrets of inaction. We didn't do something when we should have. And researchers say that in the short term, most people tend to regret uh, having those actionable regrets, things that you have done. But over the long haul, it's the regrets of inaction that haunts people. Let me give you an example. It's the person whose hours now are dwindling away. They're facing the end of their life. And as they look back, generally their, their regrets are things they didn't do. That's why sometimes they hang on until they can have that moment of closure with one of their loved ones to say, I love you, or to say, I'm sorry. Because they know that over their life, there are opportunities that they totally missed. And it's those in-action opportunities when we should have done something that tend to haunt a lot of people. In fact, it gave us the poem that goes like this, for all the sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. It might have been. You know, many people, when they evaluate their regrets, they think only of regrets of action or inaction, but we can't stop there because there's another kind that maybe you haven't considered that's equally important, and that's this, the regret of reaction, of reaction. What this regret is, is, is things that have been done to you. It's your response to being hurt. And maybe it comes in the form of an, an accident that you were in. You didn't cause it, but it happened to you. Or maybe it was the illness that you got the disease the doctor gave you. Maybe it was the abuse that you took as a child or as a spouse. Maybe it was the neglect that you experienced growing up or the rejection you felt from your parents or friends or those that should be caring for you. Or maybe it was the betrayal of a close friend or family member. And when bad things happen to us, it's very quite naturally to regret them. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem occurs with what we do with our reactions, how we choose to use those. 
For some, here's what happens. They assume responsibility that's not theirs to assume. If I had worn a different dress that day or a different kind of clothes, maybe he wouldn't have done that. Or it's the person who says, you know, if I went a different route, maybe I wouldn't have been in that car accident. I sat with a young man who was behind the wheel and killed a pedestrian. And he said, why didn't I go the other way that day? And I said to him, I don't know. I don't know. The regrets, things that happened to him that he didn't ask for, but it happened. We can all deal with these. And he owned that. The shame and responsibility of something that he did nothing, he could do nothing to prevent. Or we take on the shame or the blame that we don't deserve, or the bitterness or the resentment or the anger because of what has happened to us. And sometimes these regrets of reaction, friends, sometimes those are the ones that hurt us the most. And what happens when we get in these regrets is we enter what's often called the sorry cycle. The sorry cycle. It's a cycle where we we feel sorry about what we did, or we feel sorry about what happened, or we feel sorry about what's happened to us, and we go from being regretful to longing for something to be different, longing that maybe there's a chance it can change, but here's what happens. That regret sucks you back down, because as soon as you think maybe something could be different, that regret is there, and it draws you back down to your sorrow, and then you Once again, maybe you have a longing, but that regret is always there. Is that regret meant to be your enemy? I don't think so. It often has been the enemy of many of you, but let me tell you today, it can be a little bit different. We don't have to stay stuck in that cycle. But psychologists have given this a term, this being stuck in a sorry cycle. They call it rumination. Rumination. What rumination basically means is is you continue to think on it. It's kind of like a cow chewing its cud. I know it's a very ugly thing to think about right now, but you know what cows do, right? They chew on it for a while, swallow it into their first stomach, and then what do they do? They bring it back up, chew on it some more, it goes into the next stomach, and there's this whole process of, you know, chewing on it over and over and over again, and that's what so many times we do with our regrets is we chew on them, and we're stuck in this cycle of chewing on our regrets over and over and over again. And clinical psychologist Melanie Greenberg says this, that regret can have damaging effects on mind and body. When regret turns into rumination and self-blame, it keeps us from fully engaging in life. And that's the truth for many of you. You just don't feel like you can engage in life. Your spouse might say, what's up with you? You just seem so distant. Or your kids wonder where you are because you have disengaged being stuck in this cycle of regret and longing, regret and longing. And as we function poorly, the people around us get sucked into this sorry cycle. And sometimes we think that maybe the best thing we can do is ignore our regrets. Can I just tell you, you you can't do that. In fact, it gets worse the more we try to shove it down and suppress it. In fact, that becomes one of the primary leading causes of some significant mental illness, depression included among those, trying to bury and sink our regrets. Or oftentimes, behaviors that we do to cover those regrets are more regretful than the events we're trying to bury. We just can't do it. And we'll talk more about that, obviously, in weeks to come. But there are collateral damage. There is cost to trying to hide our regrets. And oftentimes, it's that relational cost of excluding those, pushing those closest to us away. 
Or it's that cost of opportunity. We just don't act. We can't put ourselves out there again because of what had happened to us. And so there's opportunities missed, which leads to what? More regret. Or maybe there's that peace cost where you just don't have that sense of peace within you. Or satisfaction. And it leaves you in this longing and then regret mode. Longing and regret mode. And you're stuck in this cycle. Maybe here's the question. What, what regrets did you bring with you today? Maybe it's a regret of action inaction, reaction. Maybe it's all of the above. You've got something in your history to say, yeah, that's where I'm at, Kelly. But I want to make sure you don't get stuck in this cycle. And that's what this series is all about. It's not letting us get stuck in the sorry cycle. That's why I'm so excited to kick off this series starting over. It's a series for people like me who've had regrets that I've had to face and deal with. It's a series for people like you who maybe have come and you've wondered, can I really start over? And you don't know my regrets, Kelly. Can I really start over? Well, I believe you can not only start over, but you can break out and have a great future ahead of you, a life beyond your regrets. And a lot of the, what we're going to share with you in this series comes from a book called Starting Over. Very creative, right? That's what we call our series as well by uh, Dave and John Ferguson. And I would encourage you to buy the book. If you want to go deeper in this topic, I'd encourage you to buy the book. It is a great read, a lot of great points to bring out of it, and we're going to kind of follow some of the thoughts they've shared in that book as well. And over the next few weeks, we're going to learn how to recognize those specific regrets that we've talked about, those categories, because some, I had one person say, you know, I, I thought I was regret-free until you touched on one issue, and all of a sudden, it was there. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about releasing those regrets to God and finally learning how to love our regrets and see those as an opportunity to grow and to start over. And I know when we talk about regrets, some of you today, that's just that's right beneath the surface. And you're kind of going, I don't even want to be here right now. Because every time you say the word regret, I think about that thing, that event, what happened to me. Can I just, can I just challenge you not to shove it away right now, but pay attention to that. So I believe that God wants to use that today to help you in this journey. And my sincere hope and prayer is that we all continue to see that God is big enough to redeem your worst regrets. He is. We're going to see an example in the Bible of how God is willing to do that, not only to, to, get to, to help you see them, but then to use that for a greater good. Because regrets of inaction or action or reaction, here's the thing we can discover about those. All of those can be traced back in one way or another to attempts to satisfy longings outside of God. When you look back at your regret, you recognize you were trying to do something outside of God's better for your life. Maybe for you, you were feeling disconnected from your spouse, and so you thought, well, if I view some pornography, that, that's going to satisfy a longing I have. And you recognize that that only, unfortunately only led you to a terrible regret. Or maybe for others, it's that emotional relationship you have with somebody else. You should be having with your spouse, but they're not there for you, so you're in that place trying to satisfy something outside of God's best for you. For others, it's the way you're choosing to use your money. You know God's plan biblically for you, but you're choosing to, to not obey that and to, to use your money maybe in foolish living and it's come back to bite you in some very negative ways. Can I just tell you that the Bible is full of God's wisdom? It's not an old-fashioned book. There is some wisdom there that will keep you from regrets, but here's the thing I also know. If regret 
is really a spiritual matter, trying to satisfy longings outside of God, then here's what else I know. That means the solution to that spiritual problem is also spiritual, and it's finding our way back to God to deal with those regrets. The very same regrets we, we have now because we tried to have a satisfaction outside of God, and it's come back to bite us. And the reality is God wants to connect with you in the midst of your brokenness and your regret. We can all start over and live a life beyond regret. Somebody in the house needs to hear that because you're going, but you don't know about me. We can all start over. We can all start over and live a life beyond regret. As long as we're still drawing breath, it is not too late. God has a way of redeeming those moments, no matter what you did or what you didn't do or what was done to you, no matter when it happened, no matter how badly it hurt, no matter how old you are, no matter how hopeless you may feel today, you can start over by the grace and the strength that God gives you. How do I know? There's a guy named Peter who has a story that tells you that. Peter's one of the closest followers of Jesus. You might, you might know the story. This particular event shows us how Jesus helped Peter to start over. See, in, in, in scene number one, we're going to look at two scenes in Peter's life. And in scene number one, Peter stands warming himself by a charcoal fire among the guards and servants and the curious bystanders right outside the high priest's home where Jesus has been arrested and he's been dragged before the religious leaders and he's bound and tension is filling the air, and everyone knows that violence is soon to follow. And in Luke chapter 22, we see this event. Luke 22, 54 to 62. Let's pay attention to this story. You can look up in your Bibles, but I tell you, I'm going to tell it to you, then we're going to look at a, a verse in particular. But just a few hours before this happened, Jesus told Peter what was going to take place. He said, Peter, before the rooster crows, You'll deny that you know me three times. And, I, and I, I stop and look at that and think, isn't that interesting? That Jesus, the Son of God, knows completely what's going to happen, how Peter's going to choose to act on that. What does Peter say? Okay, Lord, but help me learn from it? No, what's he say? Never. Never. That's never going to happen. In fact, if everybody else falls away... I will never deny. In fact, I will even die for you, Jesus. Well, in that moment, next to Jesus, surrounded by disciples, that's pretty easy to say. But that night, in the courtyard, warming himself by the fire, surrounded by not disciples, but servants, servants of religious leaders, other curious bystanders, Peter's at a fire, and suddenly somebody speaks directly to him. Aren't you one of Jesus' followers? There's a servant lady. Then a second time somebody asked. And a third time somebody asked, you must be one of them. And he said, no way. In fact, he even calls curses down upon himself and says, I don't know the man. And then the rooster crows. We see it in John, or sorry, Luke 22, 61 and 62. That final time that Peter denied, it says the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. 
And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Around that charcoal fire, Peter instantly feels the sting and the flames of regret. And he can't believe what he has done, especially after how bold he was, especially after what Jesus had done for him all of these years and calling Peter and speaking into his life. How could he abandon his friend at his friend's most desperate hour? And so he's overcome with bitterness and regret. And what happens next? Jesus is condemned, he's beaten, he's crucified, and Peter isn't even there to see it. Because in his shame, he withdraws. Can you imagine the sorrow that burned in Peter's soul as his closest friend was laid to rest in a tomb? And he wasn't even there for it? In fact, the last time he saw his friend, he, he denied he even knew him. Could you imagine that? The weight of his failure that he felt upon his shoulders. Here's the thing about this story. A lot of us can relate to Peter, can't we? Maybe it's not denying Jesus with your words. Maybe it's more by your actions. And it might be more than three times. In fact, maybe for you it's been 20, 30, 40 times you've denied him by your actions. And those actions have led to regret. And those regrets lead to isolation and you've pulled yourself away from your friends and away from God, the very one who can help you with this. And you've hidden away in your shame and in your sorrow. We know what it's like to feel the sting of regret burning in our souls. And mentally rehearsing our regrets over and over and over and over again in that sorry cycle gets us nowhere, friends. It got Peter nowhere. I could imagine what he was telling himself that night as it replayed over and over and over in his head. What a loser he was. He doesn't deserve this kind of a friend. I know all the things he probably could have said to himself in condemnation because of what he had done. But it does more harm than good, doesn't it? Peter could have got stuck in that regret, but here's the thing. Jesus wouldn't let him stay there. As we move from scene one, the scene of his greatest moments of regret, we move in the story now to find him on a lake, fishing with the other disciples that were among the followers of Jesus. We see it in John 21. John captures the story because John was there in the boat with Peter. They were fishing, maybe because Peter had given up on any plans Christ had had for him to, to lead the church. He remembers what Jesus said when Jesus had asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And he said, you're Christ, son of the living God. And, and at that moment, Jesus said, you're right. And upon that testimony, I'm going to build my church. He was speaking leadership into Peter. But now he's thinking, no way. I'm sure that ship has sailed. I'm sure he's got no plans for me. It's over as far as I'm concerned, so he goes back to fishing, and he's fishing, and he fishes all night. And these professional fishermen catch nothing. We're not talking about like on a pole. They use a net. You'd catch at least a tennis shoe or something, and they caught nothing. And they hear a voice from the shore. They can't quite see who it is. But then John recognizes who it is. And he says, it's the Lord. You can read the story to get all the details. They know it's the Lord because he gave them instruction on where to fish. And when they did that, they brought in this miraculous catch. And as soon as Peter hears the words, it's the Lord, the Bible tells us that he, he takes off his outer garment and he jumps into the water and swims to shore. Why would he do that? Maybe he thinks against all hope. Maybe 
Maybe he could make amends with Jesus. Maybe this is that time. But he jumps into the water, and, and as he approaches the shore, a familiar smell fills his nostrils and takes him right back to a moment. As when he got on that shore, he smelled the smoke of a charcoal fire. Why did it have to be a fire? As soon as he smelled that, it took him back to that moment. Don't smells have that power? Maybe for you, every time you smell something, it takes you right then to that moment. For some, it might be a good moment when you take in a smell of a perfume and it's like the smell of your grandmother. It's like, ah, it's a great feeling. Or maybe for others like me, it's, there's this certain weed, I don't even know what it's called, but somewhere outdoors, there's this weed that's very, very strong. And when I smell it, it like takes me back to my childhood playing out in the, in the, in, in the, in the hills of Glide, Oregon. And it was happy moments of my childhood. But then there's those other smells, right, that bring you into moments that remind you of your regrets or things that happened to you. Or there are certain foods you can't eat today because it was associated with an event that you regretted ever happening. Charcoal fire, he smells, and it brings him right to that moment because the smell of betrayal is all that fills the air around Peter. And here's Jesus on the shore, and there's the fire. And the last time those were together, Jesus and a fire, Peter was denying that he knew his best friend. So you can imagine what's in his mind right now. And Jesus serves him breakfast. He breaks fellowship. He has fellowship with him. Having a common meal together is a sign of peace. In John 21, 15, after they had finished eating, it was time for a conversation. So it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? In other words, these disciples, you all threw under the bus because you loved me more than all of them, and you were never going to deny knowing me. Do you really love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Not once, not twice, but three times Jesus asks the question, do you love me? And not once, not twice, but three times, Peter is given the opportunity to say, yes, you know that I love you. And what's beautiful about this story is one opportunity to affirm his love for every denial that he made in the story. Three is a perfect number in Scripture, the Trinity, three. But it's also a sign of completeness. It's a sign of healing. The number three is a sign of wholeness. But there's more. Jesus is doing something in this interchange that helps Peter to start over. And the first thing is this, that Jesus confirms the relationship. He confirms the relationship. It's implied in Jesus' question, do you love me? And in that question is a priceless reassurance, because I love you, Peter. Even though I know what took place, I love you. Do you love me? And here's the thing, friends, when we know that we're loved, we can... We could find the courage to face our regrets. Some of you can't bring this before God because you wonder where you stand in his love. Can I tell you? His love is perfect and unconditional. 
which means there's no strings attached. There's no conditions. Well, if you finally, or will you start? No, he loves you. And it's in the context of that perfect love, you can find the courage to face your regrets. And Jesus didn't chastise Peter in that moment. He didn't rehash what happened. He didn't blow it off as no big deal. He didn't give Peter the cold shoulder. What did he do? No, he affirmed his love for Peter and allowed Peter to do the same. And in so doing, he reconfirms the relationship. But he does something else too. Jesus confirms Peter's purpose. He confirms his purpose. After each affirmation of love, what did Jesus say? Then you feed my sheep. You take care of my sheep. You feed my lambs. Why would, he, why would he do that after every time that Peter says, yes, you know that I love you? Because Jesus still had a purpose. Peter. It didn't end in his betrayal, his denial. He still had a purpose for him. And his purpose wasn't that he'd go back to fishing again. No. His purpose was that Peter would do exactly what Jesus commissioned Peter to do long before Peter had ever denied knowing Jesus. Yeah, that thing happened. And Jesus wanted to deal with it, but it did not communicate to Peter that you are worthless now, that it's over for you. See, here's the thing. We look at regrets and we think, story's over. End of the line for us. But what we see through this interchange is that it's not over. That his purpose still exists for you even through the midst of your regret. It's as though Jesus was saying to him, Peter, you still have a purpose. You're not disqualified. I'm not done with you. I need you. And this scene between Peter and Jesus is one of the, one of the most spectacular interchanges, I think, in the entire Bible. One, because we can totally all relate to this. But two, because Jesus refuses to let Peter stay stuck in the sorry cycle. What would happen if that conversation never happened? Would Peter become the one who the day of Pentecost would stand in the book of Acts, records the story in Acts chapter 2 and into 3, would he be the one who would stand that day in Jerusalem and defend what has happened to those disciples and preach a message of repentance about Jesus and 3,000 people would get saved that day? If he was stuck in the sorry cycle, would that have happened for him? Not a chance. But Jesus said, my purpose for you is not over. You might feel like you disqualified yourself, Peter, but look at if you bring your regrets to me, I can give you a new place to start. And that regret for you can become the, the foundation upon which you grow and you change. And so with this, Peter can move on. And here's what you have to understand today, that what Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you. He still can do for you. If you're stuck in a regret of action, something that you did and you regret it to this day, can you just hear God saying for a moment, I love you no matter what, that nothing can ever change how I feel about you? Let those words set in your heart today. Or maybe for you, it's the regret of inaction, something you didn't do, an opportunity that was missed. Can I just have you hear God say to you, it's not over. I am not done with you yet. Or maybe for you, it's the regret of reaction, hurt that's happened to you. And out of that hurt, you've, you've got some regrets of things that you've done or the pain that you feel or the unforgiveness that you bear. Can you hear God saying that you're not damaged goods? 
I have plans and purposes for your life. What Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you. He wants to confirm the relationship. He wants to confirm the calling, the purpose for you. He wants today to be the day that you start over. And what happens so often in life, like I said before, is we see regret as the finish line. When in fact, friends, it is meant to be a starting line. You see, regret is actually meant to be a helpful thing. Regret is meant to be a functional emotion. Let me explain it to you this way. Regret is actually a rational emotion. When we feel regret, it is attached to a specific and general item. Do you know why it works that way? Because it's, it's the way of dealing with what happened. And that kind of regret should lead us to reparative action. There should be something that we want to do to make it different. That's why regret is there. That's why in and of itself, regret is not a bad thing. That's why I can tell you, look, you can learn to love regret. Not necessarily what happened, not what happened to you, not what you did. You don't want to love that, but you need to learn how to love regret because it does something in you. It brings an awareness of something to bring to God to deal with. And when that happens, there's a reparative action that takes place. In fact, journalist Catherine Schultz says it this way in one of her TED Talks, that regret doesn't remind us that we did badly. It reminds us that we can do better. See, some of you want to just land on the front end of that because your regret keeps telling you you're a bad person, you're a bad person, you're a bad person. That's not the job of regret. That's called shame and blame. Regret is a rational emotion that's meant to bring you to a point of corrective change, of reparative action. It reminds me that I can do better. And that way, we, we learn to love our regrets because God brings those to our attention to deal with them and then learn to grow from them. And what Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you. And here's the thing. The last thing that Jesus did in that conversation with Peter is he said, follow me, follow me. Jesus invites Peter on a journey to live beyond his regrets, a life beyond his regrets. And here's the thing. Jesus invites you to the same today, to discover a journey of a life beyond your regrets. And next week, we're going to challenge you to recognize your regrets. It was the brilliant G.K. Chesterton who said these words, that unless a man starts afresh about things, he will certainly do nothing effective. So it starts with a decision to quit hiding, to quit running from your regrets, to quit ruminating over it, but instead recognize it. And two weeks from now, we're going to give you the opportunity to release your regrets, to forgive others, to forgive yourself. And as well, we're going to learn the most important thing, how to let God's forgiveness touch your life, because some of you still don't, haven't gone there with him. And three weeks away from now, we're going we're gonna to take a look at how God wants to redeem your regrets, to turn them into something. Maybe you feel like you're living now your plan B because you missed plan A because of your regrets. Or maybe for you, it's plan Z. But God can turn that plan B or Z into a plan A of how he can use that, redeem it for his purposes as you move forward. And then we're going to bring it all to a close to show you how you can live a life beyond 
those regrets. For some of you, that just seems so far away right now. It seems impossible, but regret is something that God wants to use in your relationship with him and for him, just like he did with Peter. And it was a Danish philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, who once explained it this way. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Some of you are stuck looking back. You're in the sorry cycle. That's what regret does. It's going to remind you. And then you push it down because you don't want to deal with it. When it's there as a reminder to deal with it and move forward, right? But you're stuck looking backwards. And because of that, you have, you've just hit a standstill. You've hit a brick wall. And there's nothing it seems like in the future for you. But facing that regret, bringing it before God, finding the healing of that gives you the potential to live forward. We're going to talk more about that in weeks to come. But this is the moment where we can choose to love our regrets, knowing that because of those, God can help us start over. In fact, here's the big idea. When we learn to love our regrets, we can grow from them and discover that it's never too late to start over. It's never too late. I'd like us to close our eyes and for a moment just bow your heads. And I know that this kind of a message for some has left you maybe a little bit stinging today. Because it reminded you of that regret that you thought you'd buried. Maybe for others, it's a real recent event that you're still feeling this actual realistic sting of that event. But here's the good news. Today is the day you can start over. The thing is, we don't like to let ourselves start over. We feel like we're letting ourselves off the hook by doing that. Shame and blame and regret, those all feel really, really good because they make us feel bad, which is how we think we should feel because we did what we did. But you see what that does? It keeps you in the sorry cycle. I'm not doubting that what you did or what happened to you hurt. I'm not doubting that. But I am saying that by the grace of God, you get what you feel like you don't deserve. You get a chance to start over. You get forgiveness. Don't lie to yourself in this moment and say, that's for somebody else, Kelly. You don't know me. You don't know what I did. You don't know the shame that I bear. You don't know the hurt that I've caused. You're right, I don't. But God does. And yet the invitation is still the same. Bring your brokenness to me. Bring your sorrow to me. Because it brings you to repentance. And that's what God can work with. So maybe your regret is relational. Maybe you did something you should have loved better. Or maybe you should have been loved better. Maybe something happened relationally. And today that's, that's a regret you deal with. Or maybe it's your health. The way of taking care of yourself or an illness that's happened to you, or maybe it's their finances. Maybe it's a sense of purpose. You'd wish you'd taken a different path in your life, and yet here you are, and you wonder, can, I, can God use this? Or maybe it's spiritual. You 
denied God multiple times in the way you made private choices that became public choices that began to hurt those around you. I don't know what it is you're dealing with today, but here's what I know. We all have regrets. And if you're here today and you're saying, Kelly, I think I'm in that category today of a person who's feeling regret today. Just raise a hand and say, that's me. Will you pray with me today? Thank you. Anybody else? Just raise a hand. Don't be, don't be shy about it. Confession is good. That's me, Kelly. Pray with me today. You can put your hands down. Lord, you know. You know what each person in this room is feeling in this moment. In fact, before a single word is spoken, God, from our heart, you know. And I pray right now for the grace that only you can give to fill these souls in this moment. They would quit lying to themselves and quit telling themselves they're not good enough. They would quit telling themselves they can't because you're a God who can. And I pray you would in this moment give them permission to start over something they have wished for, but I pray in this moment they would act upon that, that you have a way of making things new, Lord, and even our regrets, we can learn from them, we can grow, and we can learn to love those regrets because of what you've done in us. So on this journey we take over these weeks, God, I pray that you'd help us know you're at work right now in our lives, and you'll continue to be at work on what to do now as we find the starting point with our regrets. You'll lead us to do what we need to have, the conversations we need to have, the things we need to do. You're going to guide us in that. So I thank you for that. But I pray that people would leave here today knowing this one truth, they can start over because that's the kind of God you are. But thank you for being faithful to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.